All right, let's look in our Bibles in the book of Genesis, in the book of Genesis chapter number three. Continue to pray for Pastor and Joanne. They are on vacation, hopefully traveling far away from here. (laughs) This weather is literally for the birds. It's actually more specifically for the ducks. Um, So hopefully there's some place where the sun is shining and uh, it is not raining. But we do need the rain and we're thankful for it. But continue to pray for them. The Lord would just bless them and give them rest. Uh, during a much-needed and much-deserved vacation. Genesis chapter number 3, Genesis chapter number 3, making godly decisions in an ungodly world, making godly decisions in an ungodly world. You say, well, making godly decisions, I mean, this is the Wednesday night crowd. This is, you know, we, we know how to make godly decisions. Well, let me, let me challenge you tonight and kind of warn each and us, each and every one of us, because, you know, making decisions for the Lord today, making godly decisions is becoming more and more difficult every day. This world is becoming more and more ungodly. And taking a stand, making decisions that honor and glorify the Lord, making decisions that would please our God is becoming more and more difficult. Now, That being said, it's still the right thing to do. God still desires for us to make godly decisions, but it is increasingly more challenging each and every day that goes by. Now, I will say this. We're going to look at some illustrations from the scriptures today of people that you would have thought, hey, you know, they were in a good situation. What drove them to decide and make the choice they did. And I want to look at, look at some, some of these illustrations in the scriptures tonight and kind of as a, as a um, warning for us to see, hey, you know what? Even the strongest Christians can make mistakes. Even the, listen, we make choices each and every day. I, I read a thing as I was putting this together, and I don't know how they figure this out. I, I don't know who does this. Obviously, a researcher who has an awful lot of time. But there's researchers average, I'm sorry, researchers state that the average person makes about 70 decisions a day. I would have thought it was more than that, but we'll go with that. Over the course of a 70-year life, that is almost 2 million decisions that we make. That's a lot. That's a lot of decisions that we have to make each and every day. All of them are not earth-shattering. Whether to have Cocoa Puffs or Fruit Loops, not going not gonna to change the landscape of humanity. But some choices that we do make do have a tremendous impact on our life and those around us. And so we're going to look at some people today that had opportunities to make choices and didn't always make the best choices for a variety of reasons. I'll say this, when we make ungodly decisions, it breaks our fellowship with the Lord. Our fellowship with the Lord is broken when we make decisions that go against what God would have us to do. Um, oftentimes making decisions that don't follow God sometimes appear to be safe. And, and here's what I'll say. I, I've heard people say, well, I'm gonna, I, I would do that for the Lord, but you know, I, I, you know that's, that's a dangerous place to go into. And what we do is we err on the side of caution when making godly decisions only to find out that the path we've taken puts us in more danger than if we had originally followed the Lord in the first place. 
We don't see that because we're looking at what's right in front of us, and we're looking at it from, you know, an ungodly perspective. And yet God says, listen, the place that you want to be, the best place for you to be is right where I've commanded you to be. And so we're going to look at some people today, and, and let me encourage you. Listen, you say, well, what about some decisions that the Bible doesn't specifically talk about? I, I, I'm going to preface this by saying every answer that we need is found in the Bible. You say, well, hold on a second. That's not true. It is true. I have yet to find something. Now, listen, you may not find it word for word exactly, but there are principles in the Scriptures that guide us and provide direction for us to make decisions on any situation. The Bible says in James 1.5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. So you say, well, I, I don't know what to do. I need wisdom. We need to go to God. Because God is the one who will provide the wisdom that we need. If we go to him and ask him, too many times we don't ask God for wisdom. And we try and make choices based on our own knowledge and our own intelligence, and unfortunately, we fail. So let's look at some things. Let's look at Genesis chapter 3. I figured what a good place to start right with the first decision that was made that went against what the Lord would have us to do. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. And ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves apron, aprons. They went against specific instructions that God had given them. Now, I said at the beginning that when we make ungodly choices that go against the things that God has specifically commanded us to do or to not do, it immediately breaks our fellowship. Adam and Eve had enjoyed perfect communion with their God. Look at verse 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves. That had never happened before. Because there was no reason for it to happen before. But the minute that they chose to go against God and choose an ungodly decision, their fellowship with the Lord was broken. And we know that they were put out of the garden because of the choice they made. And listen, oftentimes we have choices we make every day. And oftentimes we do not take the time to really consider what would God have me to do? What does the Bible say? What does God say about this? I, I, I watch um, our young people in our school and, and over the years in our youth group, and it, it's, listen, you, you almost kind of expect it to a certain extent. Now, listen, I always hold our young people to a high standard because I believe that, you know, to expect anything less is not giving them the credit that I think they, they can get, that they can make good decisions. You know, age is not a requirement for making good decisions. I've made plenty of stupid decisions at an older age. So age is not a requirement. 
So I think we need to hold our young people to higher standards, to a higher standard. Expect them to make a good choice, but we have to guide them in making those good choices. And here you see that they made a bad choice, and immediately their fellowship with the Lord was broken. Now look at verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. If you fast forward to 1 John chapter 2, okay, where the Bible commands us, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And what are the three things that John writes about? The, pride, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. In verse number 6, it is exactly those three things that caused this downfall. Look what it says. And when the woman saw the lust of the eyes, when she saw that the tree was good for food, how many times do we make decisions because we see things and desire things and lust after things? Why is advertising such a big, big revenue maker today? Because it attracts people to buy things and to do things. And they Listen, I, I, I hear and read things about this where they say the 15 seconds of advertisement over and over and over again controls people's shopping habits. 15 seconds. You say, that doesn't happen to me. Think about it. You're going to buy a product you've never bought before, but you've seen a commercial over and over and over again. What's the first thing you're going to look at? That product. You don't know anything about it, but you've heard of it enough times to say, you know, maybe it must be a good product. I, I keep seeing it on TV. She saw the lust of the eyes, and that it was, I'm sorry, that, that's the lust of the flesh, and that it was pleasant to the eyes. So you have the lust of the flesh. It's good for food. Now, let me throw this in here. God had always provided all the sustenance they needed. She didn't need to go someplace that God had forbidden her to go to because it, it was good for food. God had never left them without food. God had never left them lacking or wanting. He had always provided for them as he always does for us. Yet, when we have to make choices, how many times in our life when we make choices do we question whether or not God's going to provide? Let's think about it. I mean, I've, I've talked to people, you know, I, I, I talked to, I'm thinking of a particular person who felt called to go to the ministry and hesitated and didn't do so for a variety of reasons. One was because they were afraid of God's provisions. Now, God has never left us lacking, but as soon as God commands us to go somewhere that we are uncomfortable with, we question God's provisions. She sees the tree that is good for food and says, oh, look at that. Never considering, you know what, God's taking care of all my needs. I don't need to worry. God said, no, I don't need to worry about that. Then, that it was pleasant to the eyes. So not only was it good for food, but it was something that was um, visually tempting, visually enticing. Why do you think that the advertisements on TV today are such, um, you know, listen, it's very, very difficult to watch television today, even good television, because the commercials are worse than some of the shows. Now, I'm not going to go on a rant about that other than to say this. I love watching sports, but I have to turn the commercials off or turn your head away, or shut the TV off for two minutes. Because what do they do? What are they selling to? Listen, the majority, now that the landscape is changing a little bit, but the majority of people that watch sports are men. Men usually in their teenagers to 50-year-old. So what are they doing? They're enticing them with the eyes by putting immodestly dressed people and other things that are tempting to the eyes. 
Okay? Listen, that's the way the devil works. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. Things that are enticing and appealing. Now, God may have said, and God did say, that tree is forbidden. But look at how good it looks. Be careful that that's not the thing that's driving our decisions. Then she says, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, the pride of life. Well, I could be smart. I could be wise. I won't die. God doesn't want me to be like him, so he's preventing me from taking of that. Those three things. If you think about the temptation of Jesus by Satan, what three things did Satan tempt the Lord Jesus Christ with? The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. You can summarize the way that the devil works in our life in those three categories. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So let's look at a few things. The first thing I see here is, number one, our sufficiency. First of all, we need to turn our eyes to God, not from God. We need to turn our eyes to God, not from God. Here, when she was looking at that tree, she had turned her eyes away from God and had forgotten that God was all sufficiency for everything they needed. And oftentimes, we make choices and we make decisions based on the fact that God won't provide or God can't provide, and we have forgotten that God is our sufficiency, not things. In Joshua chapter 7, I have some verses, we're going to jump around a little bit today, but in Joshua chapter 7, We know the story of Achan and the choice he made. And in verse 21, when it's revealed to Joshua that Achan had done that which God had told him not to do, look what he says. When I saw among the spoils, there it is again, when I saw among the spoils of a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it, under it. He said, man, look at all this money. These things are worth a fortune. Be careful that we don't make decisions based on monetary or financial because God is the one who's going to provide. Listen, the silver and the gold, they weren't going to take care of him. God was. And he had forgotten that. And sometimes we make decisions based on, listen, I know God is God, but I need to take care of myself. Oh, no. Because everything that we have, every job that we've ever had, everything that we ever owned came from God himself. And we forget that. Man, I've gotten a good job. I've worked hard to get this job. You know how many hours of overtime I've had to work? Do you know? I'm not talking about here, by the way. Don't, don't take that back to pastor. <laughs> do, do, do you know how many hours I've had to work? Do you know how much sweat I've had to do? Do you know how many sacrifices? And we forget. Listen, that job was first given to you by the Lord. The reason that you can sweat for that job is because God's given you the strength to do it. The reason that you can do that job is because God's given you the intelligence to do it. And we take God out of the equation, and what we're saying is God's not sufficient enough to provide for my need. i got to rely on things. And things will perish. God is the one that takes care of us. And you don't have to turn there, but in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul writes, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Are we content with what God's given us? Or are we making decisions out of a heart of discontentment and trusting in things rather than our all-sufficient God? Our sufficiency is of God. A.B. Simpson said this, 
Did I put that quote up there? Yeah. The greatest need of our age and of every age, the greatest need of every human heart is to know the resources and sufficiency of God. Listen, if we had 100% surety in our hearts, not just verbally, but in our hearts, if we believe 100% that God had infinite resources and was our all-sufficiency, we would never trust in things, and we would rely on God for every single thing. And our choices would be much easier to make, but we forget sometimes. And we trust in things of this world, things that will perish, things that will burn up, and not in our God. And the greatest need that we have is to put all our trust in God and not in the things of this world. So letter A, our sufficiency is of God. Letter B, our confidence is in God. In other words, don't fear. We ever made a decision out of fear? Does that ever work out well? In Genesis chapter 12, God has called Abraham from his land and when you get to verse number 10 of, of Genesis 12, the Bible says, And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass, when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold, now I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister." that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. He had gone to the place where he said, here's what we're going to do. God usually takes care of us, but, you know, this particular situation, I think what we need to do is lie. Now, <laughs> we've all been there, okay? I, I, listen, I've been there, where we are so fearful that we will do anything to either be out of that situation to have, quote-unquote, victory in that situation. And lying, compared to some of the things that maybe we've thought of doing in the past or have done, is a small thing. It's, like, it's a little lie. Who will know? God knows. And what we need to remember is our confidence is in our God. We don't need to fear. When we make decisions out of fear, the decisions never, ever work out. Because God has not given us the spirit of fear but of love and of a sound mind. So God doesn't want us to be fearful. So if we're making decisions out of fear, they're not godly decisions. They're ungodly decisions. They're fearful decisions. What do we need to do? We need to remember that our confidence is in God and not in ourselves. Praise the Lord that our confidence is not in me or that our confidence is not in our strength. Because guess what? Some days our strength is there and some days it isn't. But regardless of that, there'll be a time in our lives where we're going to face something that no matter how much strength we have, it won't be enough. Then what do we do? But guess what? There is never a situation that you will face, never a situation that you will face that is too overwhelming for our God. And so if our confidence is in God, you can press on forward and make decisions knowing, I don't have to fear because God is the one who's in control. God is my sufficiency. God is my confidence. Not me. God is. Letter C, our focus is on the Lord and not the world. Listen, when we make decisions, the mistake that Eve made is she turned her eyes away from God. If we're going to make a godly decision, we need to turn our eyes to God, not away from God. We need to turn our eyes to God. We say, well, yeah, but, but what, if, what if it's a really tough decision? <laughs> 
Is anything too hard for God? Is anything impossible to God? No. We know that. We believe that. But when we make choices, we don't make choices like we believe it. In Hebrews, you don't have to turn there, but in Hebrews chapter 12, in Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible tells us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking unto Jesus. Those three words right there, that's, that's all we need. I got a tough decision. I'm facing an uphill battle. Look unto Jesus. Yeah, but you don't understand. I don't have any answers. I don't have any resources to do this. God is our sufficiency. We, sometimes what we do is we turn to the world. Man, I don't have any answers to this. I better Google it. Or, or worse yet, Wikipedia. Listen, we may think Google has all the answers, but Google does not have all the answers. But God does. And we oftentimes, when we make choices, when we're in a difficult situation, whether it's a financial situation, a health situation, our first instinct is to say, I gotta fix this. I gotta figure out how my way out of this. And God says, wait a minute, looking unto Jesus is what we need to do. You say, well, yeah, but when we look unto Jesus, we're not solving the problem. Oh, yes, you are. The start of every solution, the start of every godly decision starts with Jesus Christ. The problem is we make choices, we make decisions, we go down a path that's not the path God wanted us to go down. And then when we get to that dead end, that brick wall, we say, I better look unto Jesus. Look where I am. Whereas if we had turned to Jesus first, we would have never gone down that path. And so we need to make sure that we turn our eyes to the Lord. Listen, sometimes we say, well, you know, wisdom. Listen, go to Proverbs. Proverbs is loaded with wisdom. It's loaded with wisdom. And a lot of the verses we're going to look at from here on out are in Proverbs. Proverbs 4.25 tells us this. Let thine eyes look right on, and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. You know what he's saying? Focus. Keep your focus. Don't look here. Don't look there. The world tells you it has all the answers. The world will tell you that looking unto Jesus is foolish. What an idiot. You're just going to sit there and pray. Your world is falling apart, and what you're going to do is pray? That's what the world will say. Listen, if your world is falling apart, there is nothing greater you can do than pray. Well, wait a minute, but who's going to? Don't worry about it. Think about how many times God has resolved a problem in your life in such an unexpected way that even looking back now, knowing the solution, you still go, I still can't believe it. Think about how many times has God done that? Where you sit there and you go, you know, I had no answers to the problem. Whether it's a, a, a financial need, whether it's a, a, a material need, a, whatever it is, a physical need. You say, and God took care of that in such an unexpected way that we could never have imagined. And I, I, I'm thinking of a few situations in my own life now. And I look back and I think about these situations and I still sit here incredulously thinking, that wouldn't have been the way I did it. But God is not limited. He has unlimited resources. And so we need to keep our eyes on him. Turn our eyes to God, not from God. So if we're going to make a godly decision, turn our eyes to God. Number two, we need to remember our God. Too many times we forget. Psalm 77. Psalm 77. 
a psalm of Asaph. The Bible says in Psalm 77, verse 1, I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. And let me just stop and say, isn't it a great thing that when we cry unto God, he hears us? When we cry unto God, he hears us. You know, in, in about 15, 20 minutes, we're going to take time, we're going to pray together. Do you know that when you do that, God's hearing? Praise the Lord. Verse 2, in the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My sore ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Selah, thou holdest mine eyes waking. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart and my spirit made diligent search. Will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Have we ever been there and asked some of those questions? Look at verse 10. And I said, this is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. Listen, there's times we face trouble. There's times we face difficulty. Let me encourage you. We need to remember those times when that same God that you're praying to now is the same God who rescued you from the depths of hell and saved your soul. He's the same God that when you were facing difficulties before, provided an answer that you didn't know. And we, we need to remember those things. Listen, I don't think we need to dwell in the past, but I do need to think that we need to remember those times when God was faithful, when God showed himself mighty, when God showed himself in unexpected ways that we could never have imagined. And we need to remember that God never left us. And that, listen, we could all testify. If we took testimonies, we could take the next two hours and give testimonies of ways that God has answered our prayers. But we forget. And when we're faced with another crisis and when we're faced with a difficult choice and when we have to make a decision... Sometimes we turn the wrong way. And we need to remember our God. Letter A, remembering our victories helps us forget our limitations. Remembering our victories helps us forget our limitations. Listen, when Moses sent the spies into the land of Canaan, he sent 12 spies. And they came back, and 10 of them were like mumbling, grumbling, complaining, but two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, listen, God's commanded us to go in there. We could go in. We need to go in. And in verse 31 of Numbers 13, the Bible says that the other ten spies' response was this. We are not able. Wow. You're right. You aren't able, but God certainly is. We're not able but God is. And they had forgotten that that same God who rescued them from the bondage of Egypt was the same God who had commanded them to go into the promised land. And it was the same God who was going to give them the victory. But you know what? Instead of looking at the victories that God had given them, they were looking at their limitations. Look at those great walls. Look at, those, look at the, the city. Look at the people. We're like grasshoppers in their eyes. We are not able. But God is. And when we focus on, our vict on the victories God has given us, we forget all our limitations. Because, like, you know what? It isn't about me. 
Because God has already given me victory in other areas. And I remember when God did this. And I remember when God did this. And I remember when God enabled me to do this. Man, God is good. He won't let me down now. And he didn't. Now, there was a price to pay for those that didn't believe. But if you read on, Joshua and Caleb were blessed beyond measure because of their faithfulness in believing their God. Letter B, there's rejoicing in God our deliverer. You know, we think we have to fight every battle. I got a tough choice to make. You know, sometimes we just need to step back and let God do the work. Now, that does, now listen, I'm not saying we get lazy. Don't get me wrong. Because, I, I, listen, I've talked to teenagers years before. Say, well, I want to know what the will of God is. I prayed, and now I'm going to wait. No, you got to work. However, there's a time when it's no longer up to us. Exodus chapter, four, uh, Exodus chapter 14, yes, 14. They're getting ready to have victory over Egypt, who is pursuing after them. And Moses, in verse 13, said unto the people, Fear ye not. Stand still. Now, they're being chased. Death is looming, imminent. And Moses stands and says, Fear not. And then he says, Stand still. You know, sometimes when we're making difficult choices and difficult decisions, you know, that principle of standing still is also one for, you know, think about how many things are going through our minds sometimes when we're trying to make a decision. It's like your mind is racing like 100 miles an hour. I don't know what to do. Should I do this? Should I do this? Should I do that? And Moses says, fear not. Stand still. In other words, relax. And then look what he says. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. And listen, God we're going to rejoice because guess what? God is our deliverer. God's the one who delivered them. They didn't do it. God did. And they, we need to remember our God, that he's our deliverer. He's our salvation. He's the one who's good. And he just said, listen, stand still. I don't need you to do anything. Stand still. Be at peace and see the salvation of the Lord. Let her see we walk by faith. And this is very simple. We need to resolve to walk by faith. What does that mean? We need to remember our God because, listen, the same God who saved our wretched soul, the same God who pulled us out of the pits of the miry clay is the same God who's going to help us walk by faith. He's the same God that as we walk by faith, what is walking by faith? That means if you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress, one of the most powerful sections of that book for me is where Christian is walking, he can't see where he's going, he hears this turmoil going on to his right, to his left, but can't see anything, and he's just saying, just take the next step, and trust, oh, that's embarrassing. <laughs> Whose phone is that? All right. Mike, can we edit that out? Of oh, never mind. All right. And he's walking, and he can't see anything. And he says, just take a step, and his foot lands. And you take another step, and your foot lands. Faith is taking that step and believing that God's going to be there. Believing that God's going to be faithful, just like he was when he promised to save our souls if we cried out to him. Whatever decisions we have to make, we need to walk by faith and trust God. Too many times we trust in self, we trust in our, in, in, in our abilities, in our, and God's saying, listen, that's not walking by faith. You're walking by sight, but what you can see. But what about when you can't see? Are you willing to take that step? 
Walk by faith. Number three, we need to listen to God and not self. This is a tough one. Turn to Jonah. Poor old Jonah. You know, we always read the book of Jonah, and and we kind of read it with like, man, there's something wrong with this guy. What a fool. And every time I read it, I get more and more convicted because that fool is me sometimes. Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, if you read, we don't have time, but if you read over in Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10, David writes, Is there any place that we can hide from the presence of the Lord? If I go to the deepest parts of the earth, he is there. Anywhere I go, he is there. But Jonah, he's a smart guy, I guess. He figured, you know what? I'm going to flee to Tarshish because that's even further than the deepest parts of the earth. And he tries to flee from the presence of the Lord. Listen, when God speaks, we need to listen. You say, what do you mean when God speaks? When you read something in the scriptures and God is speaking to you, we need to listen. The Bible is our guide for making all decisions. Not some decisions. Not just, you know, well, it's a spiritual thing. So all decisions. All decisions. In Proverbs chapter 2, verse number 6. Proverbs 2, verse 6. For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. The Lord's the one that giveth wisdom. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and what? He shall direct thy paths. Now we talked about that illustration. Take that step by faith. Take that step by faith. Listen, lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways what? Acknowledge him and he shall do what? He shall direct your paths. So we don't need to worry. Listen, how do we know what's the decision to make? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And he'll direct our paths. That means everything. Trust in the Lord for everything. Our thoughts, the chaos in our life, everything. We need to trust God. Man, that's a hard thing. I need to do something. No, we need to take our hands off. It's not about us. We need to listen to God, not ourselves. Because listen, when God speaks, we need to listen. When God speaks, we need to listen. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. I want to be the wise man. I want, listen, when the storms come, I want my foundation founded on the rock, not on the sand. I want it founded on the rock. So when those storms come, and they do come, I want to be right there, grounded, abiding in the true vine that we know is Jesus Christ. Because listen, what does he say? Abide in me, and I in you. And listen, that's what we need to be. We need to be grafted into Jesus Christ. We need to be founded on that firm foundation, which is Jesus Christ. When those storms come, we can make those choices, and we won't fall, and we won't stumble. So when God speaks, we need to listen. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Guess what? That's not us. Our eyes have been opened. We don't have to live and make decisions as if we're blinded because we're not. We were, but we're not anymore. You hath he quickened who were dead in your trespasses and sins. 
So we don't have to live as blinded people, but sometimes it seems like we do. We make decisions and we're like, yeah, you know, I know what God's done in the past, but, you know, this is a tough one. No, <laughs> nothing is too difficult for God. So when God speaks, and he did, he spoke to Jonah, and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. Then he says, arise, go to Nineveh. Letter B, when God directs, we need to follow. When God directs, we need to follow. When God called Abraham at the time he was Abram, and he wanted him to leave where he, everything he was, it's where you are, I want you to get up. I'm not even telling you where to go, I just need you to go. Abram immediately, Abraham immediately obeyed and followed after God. No question. And we know that God blessed him abundantly. Now listen, shortly thereafter, we read the verses before, Abraham made a, a bad choice and he lied. But God still blessed him. And sometimes, I mentioned earlier, you know, in our lifetime, we're going to make a whole lot of decisions. Two million decisions. We're not going to get them all right. And that's where the, the, the grace of our God extended out to us is such a blessing. Because we're not going to make all the right choices. You know, but guess what? Even when we make bad choices, God is still sovereign. God hasn't stopped being he, God. He hasn't stopped sitting on his throne. He's still God. He's still sovereign. And he's still merciful and gracious. And he extends his grace out to us. And you know what? He sets our feet back on the path we need to be. And he says, okay, now go. And when you read those stories about the people that Christ forgave, go and sin no more. Man, that's just, that, that stirs my heart. Because guess what? When we fail and when we make those bad choices, we can cry out to our God and we know that his mercy endureth forever and his grace is there. And we go to him with a broken and a contrite heart. But you know what? He sets us back on the right path and he guides us and he moves us in the way we need to go. But we need to follow when he directs. Then in verse number two, he goes on to say, Go to that great city, Nineveh, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Listen, when God gives you instructions, we need to obey. Say, well, I don't know what God wants me to do. If you read it and he says it, do it. That's why we have, you know, generations today. I, I believe I was talking to Jimmy this, this week, and, you know, we were sharing some things, and we were sh talking about the burden that we have for, for young people and what we see going on in the world today. And, you know, it's pretty sad, but you're talking about it's, it happens quickly. Generation that knows God, knows of God, knows not God. That's it. And we're at the place right now where we have a generation that knows not God. And we need to turn that around. Now, you know, maybe it'll turn around when... when Things get so bad that we have nowhere else to turn but to God. I pray not, but, you know, sometimes that's where we're at. Why? Because God gives us instructions, God gives us guidance, and we don't obey. We ignore or we do our own thing. Listen, if we're going to make godly decisions, we need to listen to God and not ourselves. Here's some verses really quick. John 14, 15, if ye love me, keep my commandments. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? James 1.22, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Why? Because you deceive your own selves. And Isaiah 1.19, if ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. See, when we obey, there's blessings. When we obey, God blesses us, God is pleased with us, and things, listen, it's not that we're without difficulties, but we're right where God wants us to be. And when we go through those trials, God is right there with us. 
So turn our eyes to God, remember our God, listen to God, and finally, the last point, oh, there's actually a, a quote I want to put up there. Yeah, Elizabeth Elliot. God is God. Because he is God, he is worthy of my trust and obedience. I will find rest nowhere but in his holy will that is unspeakably beyond my largest notions of what he is up to. Sometimes we want to figure God out. Lord, I'll do this, but you've got to explain it to me. I want to know exactly why you want me to do this. And we want this blueprint. But God is God. And his holy will is unspeakably beyond anything that we could ever imagine. But we still need to trust and obey him. Why? Because he is God. Just because he's God. Well, I need more than that. No, he is God, period. And the last thing is this. Make godly decisions. We need to recognize Jesus as Lord. In other words, we need to put away the idols. Recognize Jesus as Lord. You know, I almost put this point and say, we need to, Jesus needs to be Lord of our life. We need to make Jesus Lord of our life. You hear people say that all the time. You need to let Jesus be Lord of your life. C can I just throw this in there? And the reason I change this is because Jesus is Lord of our life. <laughs> okay? We may not recognize him as Lord of our life sometimes, but he is. He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And so we need to put away the idols because when we have idols set up in our life, he is no longer the Lord of our life, so to speak, but these idols are. 1 Corinthians 10.14 says, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Letter A, our decisions are influenced by the things that have the most importance in our life. What do you mean? Acts chapter 5. We know the story. Acts chapter number 5. And in verse number 1. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price. His wife also being privy to it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Their possessions were more important to them. They were idols in their life. And they lost their life because of it. The decision they made was because of the idols in their life. The idol was the possessions, the money. That was the idol. So the choice they made, a bad choice, was driven because of that. And listen, the idols that we have in our life will drive the decisions that we make in our life. If, if our idol is power, then we're going to make decisions that make sure that we achieve as much power and prominence as we, as we, as we can get. If monetarily that's our idol, if money is our idol, then we're going to make every decision that's going to be a decision to accumulate as much wealth as we can. That's just the reality of it. But if God and Jesus Christ is Lord, then every decision we make is going to be influenced by the fact that he is the one that's directing our life. Letter B, our pride keeps Jesus from being Lord of our life. Listen, I don't think that we need to go much deeper into this. But listen, when, when, when our pride and our, you know, standing and our, um, I don't know, I don't even know what the right way to put it, but it, it, when we start to get this inflated picture of who we are, Jesus is no longer at the top. We are. And he needs to be there, not us. I love the illustration Pastor gave on Sunday. What a great illustration. People need to see Christ in us, not us. They need to see Jesus in us. So, 
How do we do this? How do we recognize Jesus as Lord and put away the idols? One word, submission. Now you're prying. That's a bad word. Don't you know this is 2019? We don't talk about submission. Submission is a wrestling term when somebody gives up. Yeah, it is. You know what we give up? Control. The word submission defined is to submit and yield to the will and control of another. For the Christian, that's Jesus Christ. Are we willing to submit and yield control to him? That's, that, that's, a, that's a pointed question because, listen, if we're going to make good choices, we need to recognize Jesus Christ as Lord. The only way that's going to happen is, is if he is preeminent in our life and if everything that we do is about him and he's controlling our thoughts and he's controlling our will. Leviticus 19.4 says, Turn ye not unto idols, nor make to yourselves molten gods. I am the Lord your God. Paul said, for when he is weak, then he is strong. And we look at it the other way. I need to be strong. No. See, when Jesus Christ is the thing that is driving and, is, and our control of our life is yielded, submitted to him, only then are we actually strong. Only then are we actually strong. What a great quote from Hudson Taylor. Uh, you can go to the next one. Christ is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. That's it. I, I read this very short, but I was blown away. Christ is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. And that's the reality. We like to hold little bits and pieces. I got this and I got this. You know what? Christ is either Lord of all or he's not. Is Christ Lord of all? Is he the thing that's driving our decision? Listen, it's tough to make decisions, and I could have gone into a lot more. I'm going to close with these five quick questions, and then we're done. Say, well, how do I make good choices? How do I make difficult, how do I make choices in the face of political correctness? And how do I make good choices in the face of, you know, social acceptance and all these other things and still be the Christian? Ask yourself a few questions. Number one, what does the Bible have to say about the matter? Yeah, but wait a minute, what, what does God have to say about the matter? That's the most important thing we can ask ourselves. Number two, do we have the entire picture? What do I mean by that? Um, sometimes we make decisions with just part of the problem or part of the solution. We like to, well, yeah, I, yeah, but this and this and this. But what about what the Bible says here? I don't want to hear about that because then I'll have to change my choice. And we need to make sure that we're making decisions with the whole picture in mind. A real quick verse in Psalm 8, uh, not Psalm, Proverbs 18, 17, the Bible says this, He that is first in his own cause seemeth just, but his neighbor cometh and searches him. In other words, I, I think I have this all figured out, and then you, know, you, you start to get more of information, all of a sudden you're like, oh, yeah, but that messes up my plans. Well, yeah, we want to know the whole picture. Number three, rushed decisions are often bad decisions. Sometimes we make decisions based on pressure to make a decision. Listen, rush decisions are often bad decisions. Now, I understand that sometimes you've got to make choices. Take the time to pray. Take the time to seek God. Think the matter through. Ask yourself, number four, is any biblical principle being violated? Because if any biblical principle is being violated, it's not the will of God. And it's not the decision you want to make. And then the last thing is this. Providential circumstances alone are not enough. Sometimes we say, well, I just have a sense, you know, because this happened and this happened that God's doing this. Well, is God closing a door that you're not willing to see? 
Proverbs 16.25, and we're done. Proverbs 16.25, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Be careful, because listen, providential circumstances alone? No. You say, well, circumstance, this circumstance happened and this circumstance happened, so it must be the will of God. Yeah, but that violates this principle in the New Testament. Yeah, but I just feel like God is opening these paths for me. Make sure it lines up with the Word of God. How do we make difficult choices? Listen, if you take anything from any of those five points at the end, just ask yourself this. What does God have to say on the matter? Never make a decision apart from the Lord. Never make a decision apart from God and His direction. Submit to His will. Submit to His control. You will never, ever, ever regret submitting control to the Lord Jesus Christ. You just won't. It's a hard thing. I understand that yielding control of every... Listen, we like to make choices. I like to control my own life, but I always mess it up. I'm tired of messing it up. It took me 53 years to figure it out, and I still make the wrong choices. But you know what? There is no place better to be than under the control of God, the Holy Spirit, and having Jesus Christ be the one who directs and leads our life. Amen? I pray that that's been a blessing. We need to pray this evening.